this week, week I'm delighted to share my conversation with Dr. Rada Modgin, the last guest is, episode uh, covering well, self-awareness, of which of things, Rada is a fabulous I example. <laughs> I like that. My all family th- would definitely agree with that, all sorts of things. <laughs> all sorts of positive things. <laughs> you do a huge, huge amount of things. Some people think will have heard GCSE that were kind of science-based and I really like people so the combination of sort of science and understanding how things worked and why and then um sort of my love of people and and meeting people kind of combined into me going into study medicine as a medical doctor. I nearly went down the medical route that's not to say I would have been accepted anywhere but <laughs> I'm sure you would have been. <laughs> I was going to do um psychology and a physics teacher said to me uh, she said I think Fiona rather than psychology you should do medicine and psychiatry and my stepfather's a doctor and my stepsister's a doctor and my stepsister's about eight years older than me so I saw her going through her junior doctor years as I was making my choices so I'd chosen A-levels to do medicine and then I looked at it and I have an undying admiration for medics and that will last it will always last it'll always be with me because I just think what medics do, what doctors do, what nurses do um, mm. is is amazing. But I thought, I don't know if I'm committed enough to doing that because it takes a huge commitment, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. So it's, it's six years um, sort of training. So sort of three years, well, how I did it, three years preclinical and then three years clinical. So preclinical is all the basic science sort of stuff before you actually uh, met patients and then the, the clinical years were sort of three years after that and then obviously once you're qualified after that then you have to go through your foundation training so your foundation year training as a junior doctor and then you make your choices about which speciality you want to go into and then you've got years after that of training in that specialty and lots more of uh, postgraduate exams as well so I think uh, I think yeah I think I probably started doing exams when I was about five or six and probably you know, I remember doing my final because I did hospital medicine first and did some exams towards that and then switched to general practice So then did more exams for general practice. Um, so I think I kind of when I did my final final um, general practice exams, I sort of turned around to my mum and I was like, oh, well, what do I do now? And she's like, well, now you live your life. I was like, oh, right. OK, <laughs> don't have to do any more exams. I mean, obviously, we're always learning, you know, all, all the time and we continue to learn. But in terms of actual kind of fundamental exams and the things you need to obviously get through to kind of get your qualifications, it's, it's a long ride of, of um, exams. But like in lots of other professions and other jobs, you know, we're not the only people who have to undergo a lot of exams and lots of years of training. Mm, it is an awful lot. I mean, I, I think it's amazing. And one of my closest friends went through medicine at the same time as I was doing my degree and then I was off working and she was still going through medicine (laughs) (laughs) and then I went off traveling and she was still doing medicine (laughs) yeah there's a risk of you being like an eternal student I mean having said that I I actually love being a student and I love learning and I love the sort of communal environment of being a student and being with other people and 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 all that kind of stuff so I actually 
I do, you know, I do sometimes miss that kind of environment and that learning. So I, I teach um, medical stu- students now, actually, and I, I sort yeah. of um, look at them and they, I just love, I love teaching students because they How just have teach? great. Uh, so Imperial, Imperial. Yeah. So um, I often just kind of, it takes me back to being a student. I mean, I, I still feel like I am a student really in terms of just, <laughs> just my, my kind of energy levels. But yeah, it's, it's, I loved being a student. I loved learning. I loved the whole it's that kind of environment. I, that's why I like libraries and I like bookshops and I like sort of just spaces where you can go in the quiet and just sit and read and reflect. And you've got other people around you who've got that same kind of energy of, of learning and, and sort of being still. So I actually really like those kind of places. I, I get that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Although I did actually fall asleep quite a few times in the library at university. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. Especially near exam time. Yeah. But it's probably why I can give good exam exam advice actually now, because I've been through so many exams that I kind of learned lots of different strategies, learned what to do and learned what not to do, actually. So it's very true because you you yeah, you have, you've been through, you've practiced it all yourself. So you're you're sort of giving advice based on something that you've had a lot of experience on but if you go back if we go back to GCSEs and then there's that making the decision on A-levels were you clear do you think then that you wanted to do medicine? Um, Not not sort of clear clear I mean I think I I kind of think I I liked helping people I liked being with people and chatting to people and I like science and understanding particularly biology I loved understanding about the human body um and so I kind of thought well I don't I don't want to kind of go into a profession like a sort of research lab or a science lab where you're not really meeting many people um so I kind of combined the two so I think it was that logical combination really that sort of set me on the path of medicine um but also my elder sister was actually doing medicine so I probably got a lot of influence from that um my both my parents were very keen on meeting medicine so so there was probably a lot of that absorbed as well as the youngest of, of four children um you know kind of growing up and and sometimes you you don't always sort of question where the influences are coming from but I suppose when you're you know when you're a younger sibling and your sisters or brothers are kind of looking at different books and you're like oh that's interesting what's that you kind of tend to absorb some of that as well so probably a combination of all those things it's really interesting (laughs) and what were what your interests at school were you interested in things outside of libraries and bookshops (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah well absolutely <laughs> definitely yeah so yeah I mean I love sport I was always always in the sports teams always loved exercise um I loved I love create like creative stuff as well so I loved art and making stuff and crafting and um coming up with ideas uh and like I used to actually love the thing I used to really love is like you know school projects when you used to have to kind of go home and build like a helter skelter model out of you know paper mache or something you know that kind of thing I absolutely love so I loved um a sort of a challenge coming up with the idea and then building it and um kind of just seeing what you could do that as well as sort of uh that's why I like fancy dress you know it's like oh who could I be what could I be how could I make that costume so so there were lots of different sort of sides of me at school definitely I was always the person who was like form captain and head girl (laughs) I'm sorry to say (laughs) um proud of Oh no, I know, but you know it's like at school. I remember at school as a a really nasty girl in my class who used to bully me and call me a oh, teacher's no. pet because I used to get sort of good marks in class and I used to kind of get first prize in projects. So I remember that for a period of time, which is also an interesting thing to look back on because that was probably when I was about six or seven. And so again, I think that probably formed a lot of um, 
my interest in kind of being kind and people not feeling alone so much and and all that kind of stuff so it's just interesting to look back and, and think about those things and how they how they formed or shaped you as a character probably yeah definitely and I think I think being part of you know when you've got three siblings as well that there's a sense of you know you can read anything into it couldn't you but the fact that you like being in a library and you like the atmosphere but you're sort of in your own world and that's very much how when you've got older siblings you're growing up because everyone's coming in and out and and bringing friends and studying Mm. and Mm. it's that nice feeling of being part of that without having to interact with it all the time yes yeah that's a good point actually yeah and we were were all quite close in age there's only about four years between all four of us actually so we were quite close in age so um so yeah it was I I think also like it was quite a it was quite a strange thing as well because obviously when when my sort of elder siblings went off to university and things I actually felt that quite I, I found that quite lonely to a degree as well you know because you're so used to having them around you all the time that was quite a big sort of change for for me as the youngest sibling of four um but it was uh, I, I soon made up for that by visiting them at university and all kinds of things so <laughs> <laughs> that's <all> right. <laughs> yeah my brother's five years older than me and and I felt the same I'm I'm I missed him when he went but I did mm. enjoy going and well actually we ended up he went to university in London and I he lived with medics even though he was not a medic himself and his girlfriend was a medic and his best friend was a medic oh, so, it sounds like you've been surrounded by medics I your whole life so you went off you, you didn't just go to any university though did you Oh well, I did. <laughs> so, oh, so I went to I went to um I went to, for three years to Cambridge and three years to Imperial. So um you could, uh you could actually kind of spend the whole time um at Cambridge and do your six years there. But for me, um although I really enjoyed it and I I I gained a lot from it, I think it was such a small environment and it was so tightly knit and it wasn't really at that time anyway it wasn't really like real life um so for me three years was enough really and I felt like I needed a bit more grounding in in real life and with a bigger set of people and um just in a place also because I mean Cambridge was amazing but there was a lot of there's pressure everywhere in every university but there was a lot of um uh, mental illness in my year of students and generally across across the university when I was there um and you know even in my year group I think you know unfortunately uh, two people were admitted to hospital because of mental health crises um and a couple of other people dropped out during the year because of their mental health and so um I'm sure it's much better now across all universities but back then there wasn't really any sort of mental health support at all and no one really who you could go to 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 sort of um get help or if you had an issue there were there were tutors but there weren't there weren't the kind of services that you find now and so I think Cambridge is a really good learning experience for me because I I'd always tended to be top of the class before that and then when I went there I was like bottom bottom of the class it's <laughs> like oh my god no 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 I was honestly <laughs> but but actually that was a really good thing for me because it really um and I always knew this deep down but it really drove home that you know how important it was to actually look after yourself and actually you know what is it that you're trying to achieve and the fact that you could sit all day if you wanted to in a in a library and study all hours that 
you know that you had but you still necessarily wouldn't get the top grade and actually what did it matter anyway you know so it was it was a really good lesson for me in terms of comparison of myself to other people in terms of academic achievement and a really good rebalancing and resetting of actually what was important and what the priorities were uh, within your within life you know as a whole not just always kind of exams 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 so I do remember the first sort of time that I got my first year results and you know I was so used to kind of getting quite high marks and then I got my result and I remember phoning my sister like you know kind of almost in tears like oh my god I've done really badly she's like she's just like can you just stop she's <laughs> like you're, you're at university you're in a, in a really like tough um university you know with all kinds of people competing with you like this is just you know just be grateful and happy you've passed and I was like do you know what you're right and so it was a really really good lesson for me uh, because you know my elder siblings were always very high achievers always got really good grades and I suppose as a youngest although I didn't have pressure put on me I think there was probably a subconscious pressure to always do well in exams because everyone else had done so um but it was also a great um a great a great sort of learning experience as well in just the importance of you know health and mental health and like I said I did see a couple of people in my year who you know really got very unwell and I and I remember just thinking you know and my dad always says you know, health first health second health third because without that you haven't really got anything so it I definitely learned a lot from Cambridge. It's fantastic that you did learn a lot because I know that it's easy to talk about, not easy to talk about that, but the way you talk about it so eloquently, people could feel like given the same situation that they would respond in the same way. But I know from the work I do that not everyone responds in the same way. And there must be a lot of self-awareness, a lot of um, insight into yourself and what matters like you said you've taken home you've taken on board what your dad had said to actually reflect and make that adjustment I expect the typical is to then put more pressure on yourself if you're already a high achiever and you're not doing as well as you're expecting to but you didn't you you said right okay let me think about what my priorities are here and like you say it's it's the tenth of a grade or or some mm-hmm. tenth of a percentage or you know what, it, what it, that's not the right terminology but you know what I mean it's yeah it's that slither of being maybe one place ahead of someone else when actually no one else knows that anyway no, right, it doesn't yes. make you a better doctor no, exactly and I know all, all those sorts of I things know. I I gave a talk at the Royal College of Surgeons on the um the psychology of failure mm. And it was really interesting because the older surgeons were not impressed with some of the things I was saying, mm. but the younger surgeons were really keen to hear and understand it. And the point being, I, I mean, I, I work predominantly with leaders, but with leaders, they're high achievers. They're people like you who've done well. And there are different ways of then dealing with pressure. And pressure can often push you into the mode of you try even harder at what you're already doing. Mm. rather than actually taking a step and going wow actually I need to reconsider how I do things here so I basically I'm saying hats off to you because I think it takes um, a huge amount of understanding and reflection and wisdom to be able to do that particularly when you're what so 20 21 18 19 20 21 it's Mm. really young 
Mm, I suppose it is actually. Well, I think I think I've all. I think I, you know, I was lucky in that I had a good grounding in terms of my family were very much yes, you know, do well and um, achieve. But like the the basic thing that we've always been told is you know health comes first, always comes first, and so. I was probably lucky in that. I, I think I was also lucky in that um, I had kind of you know, good people around me in terms of grounding myself. So I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, we had very short terms at Cambridge. It was only about eight week terms. And then we used to have a long, long holiday. So the actual term time really was not, you know, we didn't really do much work in term time. We'd actually do a lot more work in the holidays because actually the eight weeks were so crammed and so packed up. So I think in the sense that, you know, when you, do surround yourself with people who know you from when you're little things that ground you I think that you know I you know I used to get kind of have breaks and go away for weekends and things so I think you know when you go away you can get a perspective on the situation and when you come back you have that bit of topped up of grounding energy so you don't get taken away by it all um but but also do you know what to be quite honest and quite brutally honest apart from the kind of insight and all the compliments that you paid me which I'm grateful for <laughs> I think actually it was um more a sense as well that do you know what I've done my best and even if I sat there and worked like super hard I don't think I could actually you know achieve more than these other people were doing because that there's a there's a different people have different levels of, of intelligence or different levels of um resonance with that particular subject and so actually in a way I almost thought well I've done my best I don't know what else I can do and, and I think I am the kind of person where I I say to myself, well, if I've done my best and I've got no regrets, then that's it. I, I can let that go. Um, it's only when I think that I could have done a bit more that perhaps I would put extra pressure on myself. But if I've done my very best, then I'm quite I'm quite good at sort of stepping back and saying, well, what else could I do? <laughs> you, know, <it's> like... <laughs> you, you think your siblings are like that? Um. I, oh, that's a good question actually um I don't know really we're all quite we're all quite different we're all kind of quite got quite different personalities and quite different ways of, of handling things I think I think as we've got older we've we've all got a bit better at that actually and better at sort of saying well we've, we've kind of done our best but um I think we I think we all probably do put you know quite quite a lot of pressure on ourselves just to um keep sort of doing things and I think but I think we've we've all learned in the last sort of 10 years or so that actually doing is not you know necessarily um equals what's what am I trying to say I suppose like in the family ethos my parents were very sort of both very driven they both are very driven ambitious people and they worked very hard in their jobs and did all kinds of things in parallel with their jobs so I suppose we probably saw that as we were growing up and we took on board the same kinds of of behaviors uh, but I think we are all learning now as well that it's important to enjoy life and not just do 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 <laughs> which my parents constantly did 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 when we were growing up and all kinds of things which I, I don't understand how they manage but they did manage so and it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think it's a slight generational shift as well, because I was talking to the guest that will be on before we put this recording out, um, John Colley, who's uh, CEO at Majestic. And he was saying growing up, his that's his dad started off um, digging up roads. So mm. he would work so hard. And then he was putting up electrical cables. And then he ended up, I think he was running Dixon's or some, you know, he went from... Uh, literally digging up a road to running a company and worked and worked and worked and worked 
it's great to have that work ethic, but there's also this piece around us understanding generationally more about mental health, mm. um, which means to an extent we have to unpick that as well, because there's, mm. there's this tendency to believe so deeply that uh, those work ethics are important. They are important. I think they really are, but it's that fine line, isn't it, between yes, work hard, do well, but when do you say enough is enough? Mm. And when do you take a breather? And when do you take go and get a different perspective on things? Um, mm. Absolutely. So you went from Cambridge to Imperial, and then you were going to be a hospital doctor. You were going to do hospital medicine. What what was your interest in hospital medicine in particular? Um, yeah, so I had a I had a lovely time in London actually. I I, I met so many so many amazing people who were probably more had more in common or more kind of resonated with who I was and also just London, London is such a fun place to be as a student and just uh there's definitely much more of the wider world and a bit more kind of reality there so I had a great time um there and then yeah I went into hospital medicine I did that for about five or six years and I absolutely loved it I loved um I loved the teamwork actually I loved being with people in a team I loved being on a sort of we, when we first started we were on sort of firm so we'd do sort of gastroenterology all about our stomachs and digestive systems for like six months and we'd move on to something else cardiology and do that for six months and you got a real sense of team atmosphere you'd be on call with your team you'd go for lunch with them you'd have coffee with them you do award rounds with them and it would always be like a little small family if you like for six months which I absolutely loved um but I also loved about hospitals and the dynamic nature of hospital. So how you would always be changing every six months. Every day was different, different environments. Um, I loved the um, learning different, different specialities. Again, always kind of learning. And also I loved just walking around the hospital and saying hello to the porters or the nurses or, you know, security guard or whoever it was. And just having that sense of community, I think, which is why I really loved hospital medicine. Yeah, it, I, I, even as a layperson, I love being in hospitals. My brother thinks I'm crazy because <laughs> he can't stand them. But I, I, I love the atmosphere and, like you say, the community, the sense of community. It's everyone knows everyone, and but it's never stale because there's always no, it's always in. busy, busy, busy. It's a bit, you know, same way, like a kind of. Um, uh, an airport or a train station there's that energy of um busyness that energy of coming and going and uh, action and something moving which is co- probably why I liked it as well that kind of energy of right what's next or what's changing mm. what was your favorite specialty of the ones you studied um I actually I really loved respiratory actually respiratory medicine so all about breathing and your lungs and lung disease um I had a great team on that I had a really inspirational registrar when I was working in that firm and she was just really really dynamic really good combination of um being very intelligent very practical um a really good team player uh, but also someone who was quite ambitious in terms of what she wanted to achieve, but just had a lovely personality that went along with that ambition. So I think um, she inspired me. But also I just loved, I loved, um, you'd often see the same patients kind of coming back in and, and back out. So again, that was quite nice to to understand that. So I think respiratory probably. And what made you make that shift to to general practice so actually my my decision to move to general practice was actually prompted by a changing in the training system rather than anything else so um 
they brought in a system whereby you you couldn't sort of shift or choose jobs or apply jobs six months at a time you'd have to be on a scheme and they also changed it so that you would um be possibly placed anywhere across the UK without any say so um and you didn't have much control over where you applied and which jobs you applied for and so actually that was above anything I mean I would have stayed in hospital medicine had it not been for that but but that was really important to me because I know my personality and I know that what grounds me and what brings me sort of joy and and the sense of kind of comfort is being around my friends and my family and having that kind of semblance of control and having, I mean, I say so having familiar environments, that's quite strange because I obviously have do lots of different things, but I think I, I fundamentally know that for me, I need a good sense of home and a, a place to, to go home and a, and, a, and a place to feel grounded in and people to feel grounded with. So it was on that basis really that I, I switched from um, hospital to general practice so it was never it was never planned and actually a lot of my hospital colleagues and consultants were like what are you doing why are you changing you know you should stay in hospital but it was for that reason they, they've now actually shifted it back but at that time that was why I I switched fair enough I can I, I mean I can understand that completely it's uh, when you're learning and you're under pressure as well there's so many other things that are out of your control having that sense of stability the mm. anchor and of course, we we know it's so good for your mental health to be surrounded by strong social networks. You went into general practice. How have you ended up doing all the interesting things you do now? So for people, I, I imagine there'll be some people that know you and know what you do. And there'll be some people so in different countries in the world who don't necessarily know what, what you do. So if you could give a little bit of a, a backstory on that, that'd be great. Yeah, so um, I did general practice. So I did all my exams of general practice, then obviously qualified, started working. And I think after about three or four years, I just, I just kind of had a moment where I just really missed uh, changing environments. And I really missed the sort of changing uh, nature of, of work. And I, I think you come to sort of learn a bit about yourself and about who you are. So I always thought I'd like to be, because of what I said about stability and having groundedness, I thought I'd want to be in one place with a, you know, my own room and a pot plant and that would be it kind of thing. But actually when I got to that stage, I actually really, really missed the dynamic changing side of things. And I missed the idea that uh, new things kind of could come in in terms of environments and different people so um, I, it was actually on that basis that I thought right I need to go and just find some other things to do for the variety because I missed the sort of variety of you also have variety in terms of which patients you see but I missed the working environment variety so I just stopped and went I mean I didn't stop working obviously but I just kind of stopped and paused and said right what can I do? And so I went out and just explored all kinds of different options, all kinds of different avenues for um, doctors and GPs and what else they could do um, using their skills. And that kind of you know, went on for about a, about a year or a year and a half of just exploring things. And then gradually I just built up a sort of a, a portfolio of different activities that I do. So, yeah. <laughs> I've seen CBBs, CBBC. Uh, so so both actually so CBBs was the the feeling better series and CBBC I've done some things for them as well yeah so that I mean that's fantastic and I can see how you fit so naturally with that because you've got a way of explaining things that simplifies it without being patronizing 
which means you can connect with people. You've got a bubbly personality. Um, you've got a nice face as well, which always helps. Oh, oh thanks for you. <laughs> um, so, which came first? Because you also talk on Radio One, don't you? Mm, yeah. So, so actually, so in terms of my broadcasting work, I so that actually started back in two thousand eight um, when I was just finishing off in hospital. So actually, my um, my oh no it was actually yeah make my body younger which is a bbc3 series that my sister saw an advert for and she brought that back and said oh why don't you have a go at this and I was like oh I won't get it she's like oh no have a go so I had a go and it was a bit like teaching and explaining which so I really loved that I really enjoyed that um but it was also about being creative and coming up with ideas and 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 sort of being creative in the way that you communicate things so I was involved in that series on bbc3 and then I from that I got um, the Channel 4 Sex Education Show, which was all about going around the country and doing workshops on um, that series about puberty and body image. And then I, once I decide I like something, I go for it. So I then sent out loads of random messages and I still do to all kinds of people with ideas. And then was lucky enough to get on Radio 1 from sending a LinkedIn message to someone randomly oh, wow. on there I know um and and then things just you know things just came from there and then the CBBs I developed obviously well not developed but I um was more involved in mental health and in terms of my broadcasting particularly on Radio 1 the surgery as it was then um and then the CBBs sort of projects feeling better um I remember sitting doing one of my other jobs one Tuesday afternoon in November it was like a rainy November and I got this amazing email sent to me from the producer with this idea and I just thought wow this is everything that I love all wrapped up in one bundle and um so yeah we went on to do that series and um and then as, as I've gone along I just I've to be honest with you I've just been drawn to things that um I've been interested in passionate about and um things that bring some positivity not in a superficial or an unrealistic way but more in an authentic way of of helping people share you know the challenges they go through in life what what are the other things so you you're teaching medical students as well yes yeah what are there other things I mean I'm not suggesting there should be because that's pretty full <laughs> <laughs> so so I do I do do some work with other doctors as well and I do some uh some work as well in terms of um uh so some tribunal work as well in terms of um how medicine relates um to people and their and how they and how they're able to function in life and that kind of thing so um a few bits and pieces but they all so people say to me oh, you know how do you do all this stuff but actually it's I don't work harder than anyone else I think I just work in a different way and so it's just about kind of keeping things in in sort of parallel um but also a lot of the things that I do they're all using very similar skill sets but just in different ways and um I really like I really like the variety actually I really like the um change of sort of role and change of you know um skill sets to a degree and and that kind of thing but they all use the same basic skill sets which are I think anyway compassion communication and and knowledge and creativity but they all just do it in different ways (laughs) I've met you through social media I actually suddenly I'm having to shift my view of social media because I have met (laughs) people it's true actually this year as well for me the same actually yeah you stand very strongly for me for mental health and being an advocate of mental health has that come about I mean clearly you were thinking about it a long time ago because you talk about Cambridge and seeing students suffering quite severely if they're admitted to hospital has that been something that's always been 
an interest always been front of mind for you or is it something that has become more laser sharp since you've been doing things with say Radio 1 and speaking to younger populations? Mm, Probably a combination of both in that I think right from a very young age I always was very aware of uh, kindness of of people who might be being sort of bullied in my class or around the idea of helping people not feel alone and that was from a very young age actually Um, quite a few examples of different things that I used to do when I was little to kind of uh, help people not feel like they're on their own or just be kind I was always very aware of other people's feelings I think around me and then um, I think obviously as you know, training as a doctor that you then have that another layer of that in terms of empathy and understanding people's stories as well as well as obviously kind of the stuff from university that I saw in terms of mental health and then I think the you know the the media work really I think I mean definitely Radio One definitely um, cemented and allowed me uh, allowed me to have that platform uh, and to speak more about mental health and about how important it, it is and it was and just from the topics we've covered there the people that I've met the stories that I've heard and the audience who share you know their challenges I think that really just cemented and I'm really grateful to Radio One for giving me that platform to be able to speak and to share advice and help and and learn as well you know every single person that I hear speaking or sharing their story I can learn something from as well so it's probably a combination of all of those things but the more the 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 sort of the more I do the more I realize um that it's it's so important not just to to use the words mental health but actually to mean it and actually to put action behind it and actually um I slightly worry that sort of the term mental health is becoming kind of meaningless because we're using it such a lot and yet we're not really backing it up with the actual deeper meaning of day-to-day awareness about about how we're feeling for all of us you know all those sort of tangible tips that we need to use and and apply to every single one of us I would really like to make this more not a conversation but more an action pack of actually this thing which is more about your emotional well-being and your emotional health um, rather than just, uh, you know, a few words in a paragraph in an article. So, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm totally with you on that. And I think I see it as a spectrum from mental health through to high performance. And I work mainly at the high performance end, but I often working at that end will see the quick tip to, to flip at the other end, which is what you were describing at Cambridge is where people put so much pressure on themselves and they don't understand it that they can break Mm. and it takes time after you've broken to make your way back again Mm. um my viewpoint is that we should be inoculating more than we're just looking for a cure for mental health and we don't just look at it once it's bad and equally I think there's a danger that it can be used as a label without an understanding of what it means because Mm. severe mental illness is horrendous and it shouldn't be used lightly I think either but that's not to say that people don't have issues that need to be treated is it's so complex it's not a simple like you say it's some mm. words in the paragraph it's not simply oh I I understand this because I've felt anxious once there's so many different layers to it and it's I think it needs that complexity of understanding without making it <laughs> 
is so complex that people can't understand it, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also one of the real things for me is around, which is why CBB has meant such a lot to me, that uh, feeling better, because I think, uh, again, this is, sounds simplistic, but um, I think a, a huge foundation stone for our emotional well-being and, and how we... Um, how we get along in life with our emotions and our feelings comes from obviously a very young age. But I think a lot of that foundation is also based in our ability to understand sort of self-esteem and to be kind to ourselves. And so I'm really keen on actually looking at or making more of a conversation around, you know, good self-esteem, what that means, what that looks like, and actually why it's so important. Because I think self-esteem can obviously fluctuate but I think when we have a good grounding at, from a young age in self-esteem then if we do encounter any difficulties or problems in our life we can go back to that and say okay well I matter enough to actually reach out for support and tell someone how I'm feeling and so I think all of those things around shame and stigma and um, not wanting to talk about it do go back to that sense of you know, I matter, I'm valuable as a, as a person, not for anything else. I don't need to do anything else to be of, of value. And so I'm really keen on that conversation of self-esteem and what that means and what that looks like, because I think that is, a t- is that the kind of foundation point where we can then actually, whatever comes our way, we can either get support or we can actually support ourselves as well. Brilliantly put. And I think it is so important and self-esteem can be so brittle but if you have that anchor again the anchor a bit like you're talking about you like to know that you're at home and you've got your friends around you it's a similar anchor in that if you can give it to children it's a gift and if you can help children of course children have self-doubts like the rest of us but if you Mm -hmm. can help them understand them and process those self-doubts in a way that's constructive and healthy then it builds, like you say, the foundation for the rest of life to be built on. So Mm. you can get knocked, but you've got somewhere to come back to when you do get knocked. Or like you say, which I think is so, so valid, is feeling like you deserve to ask for help. Mm. That's massive. It's huge, isn't it? It's really huge. And, And also, I think just to make, you know, for all of us, I think a lot of problems in the world come from a place of people not feeling safe or not feeling heard or not feeling valued or not feeling loved or like they've got someone who actually really is there to listen to who they are and I think if you know I think our society kind of its value system is is very you know topsy-turvy in that for example you know we focus a lot on academic achievements as students but what come why how do students achieve well academically they achieve well academically by being happy by being healthy by being well-rounded being holistic by having other hobbies and interests and so everything that you can think of comes I I think anyway from that place of mental health first emotional well-being first and I think for all of us adults included when you look around at the world for example environmental problems obviously there's things about you know, economic and financial uh, aspects to that but actually also it's around our disconnection with nature it's our it's our lack of connection to say that we are actually uh, connected to nature as part of us and so in a weird way sometimes I think it's a reflection of our if we're not necessarily seeing our value as as a human being or an individual are we reflecting that out into the environment because actually the environment actually looks after us when you see disputes or conflicts where's that coming from it's coming from a place of fear anxiety not enough 
so again I, I I sort of wonder if a lot of these things come back to obviously our self-esteem our, our foundational ability to be aware of thoughts and feelings and to to understand ourselves because it's only when we do that that we can then go out in the world and interact in a in a healthy way for ourselves and other people brilliantly put <laughs> I mean I love the the analogy or the sort of thought that the environment reflects how we see ourselves and disconnect with ourselves I also I'm a really really strong advocate of social and emotional learning in schools and that it should come before academic because it's we, we know we can see that the academic outputs improve when a child has better social and emotional understanding but yet I think we don't focus on that because we're so as a society focused on things that we can measure and we find it more difficult to measure those things therefore we'll just measure the outcomes. There's one piece of research I found done by the cabinet office with UCL I think it was said that it the cost of not attending to social and emotional learning in schools in the UK alone is 17 billion a year. I quote that to people and they say, but how? And you say, well, because of the knock-on impact of mm -hmm. life outcomes, health outcomes, um, not breaking those cycles of poverty and crime and all those sorts of things, it's absolutely critical. But I think you're doing an immense job. I know a lot of people are doing, working really hard, but on the mental health and helping people understand it. But one of the things I do really value about your input is it comes from a place of understanding it fully. You're not throwing things around lightly. You're not throwing words around without understanding what's behind it. You also communicate it in a way that's very relatable. And that of course is incredibly important as well because you could put out a health announcement and no one connects with it there's no, there's no use to it, there? <laughs> no, absolutely it. So so true. it it has such an important component to it um conscious of time I know you have like a thousand different things that you're doing just thinking about self-awareness specifically if I if I was to put my professional hat on I would say <laughs> you, you've got a great level of self-awareness because you've understood yourself you've understood what works for you what hasn't worked for you or what doesn't work for you and you've understood that in a way without analyzing in a deconstructive way but introspecting in a positive and constructive way of how can I work towards enabling myself to be in my best possible state so you know that you you went into to doing general practice and you were missing the variety and so what did you do? You went and you looked and you said, what could I do to add to that variety? What do I enjoy doing? Where do I? And also what's interesting is, you know, when we talked about school and you said you like doing the papier-mâché, I don't, maybe you didn't say that or maybe I Yeah, got... no, I did. No, I did. I you still have... do. <laughs> yeah, okay. So there you go. But, but there's the creative element that you, and you understood that bit of yourself when you're looking for the things that you could do on top of what you're doing now. And you clearly understand yourself well in terms of how you, I wouldn't say juggle because I don't get the sense you juggle. I get the sense you manage your time and you manage your workload, like you say, in parallel. All those things take a great level of self-awareness. Do you think you're self-aware? <laughs> <laughs> Such a good question. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. So, I mean, I mean, thank you for saying all those lovely things. I mean, I think I would also add to that is that, you know, everything that I sort of have done has obviously taken lots of time 
um, lots of little steps and lots of sort of having the opposite of what I want in order for me to know what I do want. And I think that's really helpful uh, for people to hear because it's not zero to a hundred. I'm actually quite an impatient person. So when something isn't kind of right or I feel like something needs to change I I know I've got a natural tendency to be like right come on let's do something about it now and that's probably about a sense of control and I'm aware of that too um but I I any any kind of change any kind of self-awareness takes time takes bits where you aren't self-aware takes little small steps and again experiencing what you don't want or what's not working for you in terms of how you're reacting in order for you to learn a different way of doing it and sometimes we learn that straight away maybe just from a once or kind of one event or sometimes it takes 18 events for us to, <laughs> to, to learn it so so I would say I'm getting better at becoming self-aware um I'm getting better at understanding kind of what brings me joy and what um and when I might be under stress or pressure and when things might trigger me having said that I don't always manage to be self-aware and I don't always manage to put in place strategies that um I know would be good for me Uh, but again then it's about saying okay well I didn't manage it yesterday that's all right I'm not going to have a go at myself I'm not going to be hard on myself I'm just going to try and remember next time until I get it right. And I suppose life is all about that. It's just about keeping on going and trying to learn your lessons um, quickly if you can. But if you can't, then it doesn't matter. As long as you're learning them slowly, that's all that really counts. That's, I think that's immensely helpful. And I think it's really helpful as well, you saying that sometimes you have to try the things that you don't like because you don't know until you've tried them and and it helps you find that place in the middle somewhere. One paper I read, which I find incredibly useful as an analogy of emotional resilience, which is wellbeing, mental health, is that it's a wobble board. Mm. And so we're always having to fine tune and readjust. So self-awareness to an extent is like that as well, I think, because we're never truly self-aware because our environment and situations around us are constantly changing. Mm-hmm. So even if we think we know ourselves, something else will come along and it will knock us slightly. And it's about that fine tuning and it's better to be fine tuning than it is to be rocking violently. And I mean, sometimes we will rock side to side, yeah. you know, cause, but actually I think also the things that I've really learned, which are helpful for me is that, um, you know that actually we need uh, you know we all need periods of consolidation in life we can't always be expanding and learning and getting better and moving forward we need periods of consolidation we need periods of challenge because actually it's through challenge um like that you kind of find your strength you understand yourself a bit better and we also need um periods of contrast where actually we are in a place where we're not you know really feeling like we want to be there because that actually if we use that correctly we could, that actually sparks us to make a change actually to act um to make something different so we i don't like any of those three <laughs> i'm sure not many people do but i have as i've got a bit older i have learned or tried to learn that actually there is a time and place for everything and um if we can step back and try to see it even if it's not during it but slightly after 
then it actually is a lot less painful there's a lot less suffering for ourselves than if we do the opposite <laughs> yeah. and I think coming back to the point you made before for which is is being kind to yourself I think self-compassion it's allowing yourself to fail it's allowing yourself to make mistakes not to keep making mistakes it's not to say oh yeah it's all right I'm like that <laughs> but it, that, that self-compassion to say do you know what I got it wrong this time but that is okay mm. I'm not going to get it wrong next time or if I do as long as I've tried my best it's such fine tuning isn't it in the language we use in these things and the nuances we use in the way we talk to ourselves and the way we approach life and that's why I think hearing a consistent voice like yours is so helpful for for your audience but particularly for young people because there's that reassurance of knowing you've got the thing to say not necessarily the answers but you've got that piece of advice or the right thing to say and and you're a real guiding light in that sense so I say thank you for on, on behalf of me and for everyone else and thank you so much for coming and talking to me because I do know you have a thousand and one different things that you're doing even if you do manage it well um, <laughs> <laughs> oh so do you so thank you so much I actually love chatting to you I could chat to you all day actually so. well, right, we're definitely meeting for a cup of tea but for now <laughs> take care stay oh, safe thank and you. thank you so much thank you Fiona I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Rada really is as lovely as she seems and immensely humble, especially given her achievements. If you want to follow her on Twitter, it's Dr. Rada Modgill. And on Instagram, it's Dr. Underscore Rada. If you want to follow me, it's Fiona Murden on Twitter and Fiona Murden on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening.